Okay, we're going to begin here on the top of Yud Alpha Menalif, three lines down. Here the Gemara is continuing with the Memrot of the Amoraim, describing how they began their learning with regards to Migilat Esther. See Rabbi Hanina Bar Papa, Patach La Pitcha Laha Parshatomihocha. When he began to discuss the Migilat, he used to open with this Pasuk. Here Kavta Enosh the Roshenu, Banu Baesh Obamayim. So you brought upon us men, they were dominant over us, and we went through fire and water. Be'ish, when did we go through fire? Is Nebuchadnezzar harasha. Ubamayim, when did we go through the water? Bimei paro. V'totzienu l'rvaya, bimei haman. And then you took us out to sweetness and salvation in the time of haman. That's the continuation of the pasuk. So these are different periods of time in which B'nai Israel find themselves under dominion of the foreign nations and persecuted by them. In the time of Nebuchadnezzar, we know that Nebuchadnezzar throws them and the Hananiah, Mishalam, Zariah into the Kibshana Eish. time of Parol, he throws the people into the water. And in the time of Amman, we were at risk, but Hashem brings us to a time of abundance and success after the defeat of Haman. Rabbi Yochanan patach la pitcha la haparsha tamihacha. Zachar chasdo ve'emunato l'veit Yisrael. Ra'u kolaf se'aretz et yishuat alukeinu. Eimatai ra'u kolaf se'aretz et yishuat alukeinu. When did all the corners of the earth, everyone see the salvation of God? So Hashem remembered his chesed, his goodness, and his faith towards B'nai Yisrael. And all the peoples of the earth saw our salvation through God. When did this happen? In the time of Mordechai and Esther, because it's all public. It's all through the letters that are sent out. And it's very obvious that Mordechai overturns the rule of Haman and that the Jews were saved from the hands of their enemies. He used to begin with this pasuk. So the lion roars the bear growls, and the evil one rules over the impoverished nation. Arinohem, who is the lion that roars, Zen Nebuchadnezzar Rasha, because it says about him in Yirmiyahu, Allah Aryeh Misubecho, that the lion arises from its thicket or from its den, referring to Nebuchadnezzar Babel, who's going to come and destroy Eretz Yisrael and destroy the Mikdash. Dov Shokeg, Zeachashverosh, the bear growls, that is a chashirosh, because it says in the vision of Daniel, and then there was another animal, the second one, that looked like a bear. And in the vision of Daniel, the bear represents the Malchut Paras, Umadai refers to the Persians. The dove or the bear references the Persians, Shochlim Veshotim Kedov, they didn't drink like bears. And they have layers and layers of fat like the bear. And they grow hair like the bear. So this is the way that he described the Persians as being similar to bears in their conduct and in the way their appearance was. And similar to a bear, they never have any rest. Moshal Rashaz, who is the ruler, the evil ruler, Zahaman. Alam Dal over the impoverished nation, Elu Yisrael Shem Dalim in a mitzvot. That's over Ben Israel who are 
impoverished from the mitzvot. I mean, what led to Haman's ascension and possible annihilation of B'nai Israel, which was the fact that they were dalim in a mitzvot. They had let go of the mitzvot. They had stopped practicing the mitzvot and keeping the Torah. used to open with this pasuk, with slothfulness, the roofer will become impoverished or the roof will collapse. And with the laziness or idleness of one's hands, the house will leak. Because of the laziness of Vene Israel, because they did not engage in Torah, the enemy of Akarish Baruch was made poor or impoverished. So no, it doesn't mean literally the enemy, but rather Bnei Yisrael. The beloved of Hashem were made impoverished. That Hashem was, wasn't able to defend them because they were not learning Torah. And a mach means someone who's impoverished. That's in the Pasha of Arachim. Someone who can't afford to pay what he had promised. In Arachim it says, If he is less value or less assets than what he is supposed to pay. And the roofer is only referring to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We saw this in the Gemara Antanit. That he roofs his aliyot, his attics, or his upper chambers with water. He used to open with this pasuk. If it were not for the fact that Hashem was with us, Yisrael would say, We're not for Hashem being with us when a man stands up against us, comes to attack us. Adam, a person and not a king. Who was a person who attacked us or tried to annihilate us who is not a king? That refers to Haman. He would start with this. When the tzaddikim, the righteous, are granted the authority, the people rejoice. But when the rulership goes to the evil, the people will mourn or they will sigh. That refers to So that there was rejoicing, partying over the ascension of Mordechai and Esther and their rulership, because they were the Birvot Sadikim Ismacham. On the other hand, Bimshol Rashaya Anacham, that when the evil one is given the rule, then the people will mourn and sigh, Zehamat, Dikhdiv, Ayir Shushan Navocha, that at the ascension of Haman and the decree of Haman, Ayir Shushan Navocha. Ravatna Amar Mihocha, Ravatna says from here, now here there's not so much explanation as to what the reasoning is, it just gives you a pasuk and says, Ki mi goy gadol, there's what other nation has a God who's so close to them, who can be reached, or who we can call to whenever, wherever we are. Whenever and wherever we are, we can call out to him. So the way the Marsha explains this is that Haman makes a claim in the Megillah that B'nai Israel are am mifuzaru mifurad. They're a nation that is dispersed and spread out amongst the entirety of the nation or the empire of Achashverosh. So how could it be that they are that God is so close to them, they're dispersed. How could God be close to them? So the answer is, wherever we call to Him, Hashem is with us. And that Hashem is that there is no place without Hashem. 
And so he misunderstood to mean that they have to be united in a single location. But the truth is that Hashem can be with the Jew wherever they are. And again, from the similar psukim there in Dvarim, so there the Pasuk tells us, did anybody or did any God ever try to take a nation out from another nation? It's a reference to Yitziat Mitzrayim and unique circumstances surrounding Yitziat Mitzrayim, which makes it that there is no God like our God. So here the Marsha again says that it's a comparison to Yitziat Mitzrayim. Just like by Yitziat Mitzrayim, Hashem punished the Mitzrayim midah keneg midah, they try to hurt B'nai Israel with the water, and Hashem turns it on them, and then they are killed in the water. So too, by Haman, he intended to annihilate and wipe out B'nai Israel. And on that same day, he and his children and his descendants were wiped out on that very same day. So midah keneg midah, Hashem comes to save the nation, and to take, in a sense, a nation out of another nation. So, so to here, in the Machut HaChashverosh, he saves the Jews from amongst the entire empire. Right, more subtle. I think that we might have mentioned this before, but there is the connection of Mismach Gula the Gula, the idea of juxtaposing the Gulat Purim to Gulat Mitzrayim, and the reason given why we should make Adar Sheni the real Adar, and the Adar in which Purim is celebrated because of this Mismach Gula the Gula is exactly that message. That the Gula Mitzrayim, which is a Nes Galui, and the Gula from Purim, which is a Nes Nistar, the two of them are both the Gulat Hashem. And so we have to see in the Nesni Star Purim, we have to see the Otot Moftim that are found in Yitziat Mitzrayim. Right? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's clear, like Yitziat Mitzrayim, but sometimes it's a Nesni Star in Purim, but that's no less of a Nes, and that's no less of a miracle, and that's no less of an Otot Moftim. Just that so we have to search for it, we can't say that the Nishtana Hateva, that there's an obvious change in the nature of the world, but there are things that are miraculous, but miraculous from the side of Nesni Star. So I think the comparison to Yitzit Mitzrayim is apropos. Again, it's not in the same vein. You're right. That doesn't have Otot, Moftim, and all the things that are associated with it. But that's exactly the message, that we need to see those Otot, Moftim, inside of the Nesni Star and the redemption in Purim. All right, so the next part here, it's not clear exactly how the Girsa should flow. I'm just going to read it the way we have it in our Gemara, which is, Amarav, what is Vayihi? It's a contraction of the word vai, which is like woe. Vahi is like mourning. So woe and mourning came to the Jews. Vahi bimei on time of chashverosh. Now here it probably shouldn't say hadag duchtiv, but rather this is a, another example of these ideas because it's mitkayim, mashakatu b'torah. This brings forth or proves what's written in the Torah. Vit markartem shem lo'ivechad that you'll be sold for slaves and maidservants to your enemies when you are put into the exile. So I did not reject them. I did not despise them in order to wipe them out. I did not despise them in the time of the Yivanim. And I reject them in the time of Nebuchadnezzar, the Chalutam, to wipe them out, Each of these statements is that Hashem stood up for us, and He did not allow us to be taken away. So in the time of Yivanim, the time of Chanukah, the Chashmonaim, Hashem did not forget us, He stood up for us. time of Nebuchadnezzar, He also stood up for us. Even though the destruction took place, eventually we are redeemed from the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nechalutam is bimeyaman, that he wanted to annihilate us, and Hashem comes to our rescue. Lafer briti yutam, I did not annul the covenant I have with them. Bimei parsim, that was in the time of the Persians. Ki ani Hashem alokehem, I am Hashem your God, bimei gog umagog. And that will be in the future, in the time of gog umagog, Hashem will not forget us, he will stand by our side and protect us. All right, next, umatnita tana, in the bright we have it, lomastim. So I did not despise them, reject them in the time of the Kazdim, that's the Babylonians. Shemadilahem Daniel, because I gave them Daniel to help them out. Hananya Mishal Vazariah, and the Nevi'im, Hananya Mishal Vazariah, Vlogi'altim, Bimei Yivanim. And I did not reject them in the time of the Yivanim. Shemadilahem Shimonat Tzadik, because they had Shimonat Tzadik, Vechashmonai Uvanav, the Chashmonaim and their children, Umatatiyahu going Gadol. So I gave you people who will be your salvation, people who will be your leaders to take you out of these difficulties. That was, I put in place Mordechai and Esther to rescue them. The time of the Persian, because at that time we had the house of Rabbi and the other great Tamidir Chachamim to lead us through these difficult times. So at the same time, you have Roman rule over Eretz Yisrael, you have the Persian rule over the areas of where the people in Bavel live. I mean, Rabbi is only one. Rabbi's in Eretz Yisrael, but he says, and all the other Chachamim. The Tanaim are generally centered in Eretz Yisrael, but it means while the Persian rule is still going on, you have the Greeks, then you have the Romans, but the Persian rule still extends over Bavel. And so we, under that Persian rule, we still survive because of other Chachamim that we had during that period of time. And Rabbi is just an example of the Chachamim. He's not the only one. He's just an example of the Chachamim of that period of time. That's for the future. That the Jews will never be able to be completely wiped out or overtaken by any other nation. No other nation will be able to completely rule over them. That they will have that promise from Hashem. And that's because Hashem is always with us. Levi Amar Mihacha. So that's in Bamidbar Lamed Gimel. In describing the requirement of B'nai Israel to conquer the land and to take over the land. It's this, uh, this week's Parsha. It says there that if you do not wipe out the inhabitants of the land, then they will be there, the Sikkim. They will cause problems for you. There will be thorns in your side. And they will continue to be issues for you. So the way Rashi explains it here is that was the problem that Shaul, by not wiping out Agag, Melech Amalek, and the entire Amaleki nation, left a residual which was then a thorn in the side of Bnei Israel in the time of Haman, because Agag was not totally wiped out or conquered. That remnant of Amalek comes back to haunt the Jews in the time of Haman. So again, these are all openings for their discussion regarding Megillat Esther, and these are the psukim that they use. Which is actually the next pasuk in if you don't wipe out these nations and you don't take care of them, you leave the Avodah Zarah and you don't do as I say, then what I plan to do to them, meaning the enemy, I will do to you. Which is in the time of Achashirosh, the time of Haman, that Hashem wants to annihilate the Jews, not the enemy. Because they did not take care of Agag Melech HaMalek many years before. Right now the Gemara moves on to Achashverosh, Achashverosh's name. What is the derivation or the play on Achashverosh's name? Amrav, Achiv Sharosh. 
He was the brother of the head. Uben Gilo Shorosh. He is the same mazel. He's born under the same constellation, the same zodiac as the Rosh. Achiv Shorosh. Now Rosh here references Nebuchadnezzar. So he's cut of the same cloth as Nebuchadnezzar. He's the brother of the Rosh. Achiv Shon Nebuchadnezzar Rashash. Nikra Rosh. He's called the Rosh. Shenemer Antu Resha Didahavo. Daniel, in his speaking to Buchanetzer, in the end, describes what he is going to be granted as the king. And he says, you will be the head, the golden head of everything. So you see that he's called Reisha, he's called the Rosh, the Buchanetzer. Ben Gilo, Rosh, who were Rag, who became Shlarog. So what does that mean, Ben Gilo? is of the same mazel. And in the Rashi here, it says that they were of the same mindset, same mind frame. I mean, they came from the same type of Um, they were driven by the same things, which is, Nebuchadnezzar killed the Jews. Achashverosh wanted to kill the Jews. Hu achriv. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the Beit HaMikdash. Hu bikesh achriv. And Achashverosh wanted to destroy the Mikdash. Because we have here, Shenemar, in Ezra it says, Machut Achashverosh b'tchila, Malchuto, at the beginning of his reign. They write a Satan. Here comes the word Satan. They wrote a letter in order to convince the king to say that the Jews are rebelling and that you need to quell the Jewish rebellion in Yehuda. You have to stop them from building the Mikdash and from building Yerushalayim. And the Targum in the beginning of Megillat Esther says that Achashverosh actually stopped the Binyan Beit HaMikdash. This is Api Chazal's reckoning that Koresh came before Achashverosh. When Koresh is the one who grants permission to the Jews to return to Yerushalayim, they begin the construction of the Mikdash. But that's only completed in the reign of Daryovish Hashini, according to Chazal, which comes after Achashverosh. And the building of the Mikdash is suspended by Achashverosh for the 14-year rule of Achashverosh, according to Chazal. And so that's what they're saying over here, that Achashverosh was just like Nebuchadnezzar. He wanted to destroy or stop the building of the Mikdash. Amar, that Achashverosh comes from The faces of Bnei Yisrael were blackened like the bottom of the pot, right? The pot that gets touched by the fire and is left with a black soot on it. So too, the faces of Bnei Zil turned black in his time because they were going to be annihilated. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, where does Achashverosh come from? Kosher Zochro. Anyone who mentions his name, Amar, Ach the Rosho. says, woe is my head. What a headache that gives me thinking about Achashverosh. Again, a contraction of words, a play on the name Achashverosh. Rabbi Hanina Amar, Shokol Naser the reason Achashverosh comes from the Rash, which is everybody was made poor in his time, that he puts a taxation on the people, which causes them to be impoverished. Right now, we're going to have a flow through the Megillah. What the Gemara is going to do here is go through the Psukim and Megillah Tester. Here in the beginning, it's slower and it goes through word by word, but um, for the next number of Dapim, we're going to dash in the Psukim of the Megillah. So then Megillah says, Hu Achashverosh. What does the who mean? He is Echashverosh. Who berisho mitchilato ve'atzofo. He was evil from beginning to end. And the Gemara brings other examples of that same reading of who. Who Esav. What does it mean? Who Esav. Who berisho mitchilato ve'atzofo. He was evil from beginning to end. Who datan v'aviram. Hein berisho mitchilatan ve'atzofam. Datan v'aviram were evil from beginning to end. Especially based on the Midrash Chazal that many of the altercations that Moshe has throughout his life are with datan v'aviram. It's not just by Adat Korach that we meet them, but they were also involved in other altercations. Who 
Hamelech Achaz, who berishomit kliato at sofo. The Melech Achaz, who was evil from beginning to end. Avram, who Avraham, it's a pasuk in Divrei Hayamim. Who Avraham is, who betzidkomit kliato at sofo. He was righteous from beginning to end. Who Aaron, who Moshe, hein betzidkan mit kliatan vasofan. Same thing, the who Aaron and Moshe, that's written in Pashat Vayera, says that Moshe and Aaron were tzadikim from beginning to end. With David, who akatan. David was the youngster. He was the youngest of the brothers. He remained the small one from beginning to end. Just like in his youth, he kept himself small by someone else who was greater than him in Torah. Even though he ascended to the throne and he was the king, he still made himself small next to someone who was greater than him in Chachma in, in Torah. Now the Gemara Darshan is the next word, Hamolech. What does it mean, Hamolech? Amarav, Shemalach, Me'atzmo. That he ruled of his own accord. Amri lo l'shevach, Rami lo l'gnai. Some say that is a positive statement, some say that's a negative statement. Amri lo l'shevach, do lo have inish, to chashiv the Malka kavate. What does it mean that he, Malach, Me'atzmo, that he rose to be the king because there was nobody else worthy to be the king. He was the most worthy individual to be the king. Some say it in a negative form. He was not appropriate to be the king. He was not ra'ui to be the king. Ella, that he paid for it. He bribed them until he became the king. So that's what it means. He did, he ruled of his own volition because he paid to rule. Then the next continuation of the Agatha is Mehodu Vad Kush. The Melech Chashverosh ruled from Hodu and Kush. Rav Shmuel, Chadamar Hodu b'Sofa Olam v'Kush b'Sofa Olam. One of them says that Hodu is at one end of the world, Kush is at the other end of the world, meaning that his empire ran or extended from Hodu and Kush from one end to the other end. Chadamar Hodu v'Kush Gabei Adodi Avu. One of them says that Hodu and Kush were neighboring cities or neighboring areas, Havikaimi, or neighboring countries. Kishem Shemalach Hodu v'Kush. Just like he could rule with an iron fist over Hodu Vakush because they were close by, approximate, Kach Malach so So too, his empire was ruled over him in a complete way. A similar type of understanding or machlogit we have with regards to Shlomamelch. That he ruled over Everanar, the other side of the river, meaning over the Yardain. Mitivsach v'adaza until Aza mentioned in today's daf obviously topical. Rav Shmuel Chanamar Tivsach b'sof olam v'adaza b'sof olam. The Tivsachs on one end of the world, Azas on the other end of the world. In a similar way, Shlomo Melech's empire extended from one end of the world to the other. Chanamar Tivsach v'adaza v'adaya dodi havugaimi. They are actually areas that are adjacent. Kshem Shemalach al Tivsach v'adaza, just like he had control over these because they were close by. Kach Malach al Kolom Kolos. So he ruled over the entire world. And now continuing to dash in the Pasuk, Sheva Vesrimu Mea Medina. He had 127 countries or areas, regions that were under him. Amrav Chista, Bitchila Malach Sheva. In the beginning he ruled over seven. Sof Malach Lesrim. Then he expanded his empire to rule over twenty. Sof Malach Mea. Then after that he rules over a hundred. Tell him, if that's the way you're going to dash in it, what are you going to do with this Pasuk? Ushnei Chayam Ram. Sheva Ushlashimu Machana. Seven, thirty, and a hundred. Are you can, how are you gonna dash in that? My drash today. What drash do you have there? It says, shiny hocha, the krayateru. It's an additional pasuk, an unnecessary, superfluous pasuk. Mechtek div. It says that he ruled, mihoduvat kush. 
So if he rolled me kush, that's over everything. Why do I care that there's 127 midinot? So I mean, now the drosh must be there for a drosh, and therefore we're doreshit. It's a little surprising, given that the fact that the midrashim darshim with regards to chayei sarah, they do exactly that. They darshim this the exact same way. They take the units, the tens, and then the hundreds, and they use that as a drosh to equate between them. So I'm not sure why they couldn't do that with chayei amram as well and keep up the same drosh. She doesn't seem to be so far-fetched, given what we do with Sarah's years, as well as what they were trying to do here, with regards to the Midinot Achash Rosh. Right, so that's a good question. When they say here that he first ruled over 7, then over 20, then over 100, is that incremental, or is that cumulative? Right, you could read it either way. You could read it that he ruled over 7 at first, and then he ruled over 20. 20 could be cumulative number that he's ruling over, or it could be the incremental. He ruled over an additional 20. And then the hundreds, the same thing. You could say the hundreds, the total, the total on the amount, or you could say that it's the incremental amount. And obviously, if you want to say 127, then you would have to say that each of these numbers is an incremental amount, not the cumulative amount. All right, Tanu Rabbanan Shlosha Malchu Three individuals rule over the entire world. Kipa here means under the entire Kipata Rakia. Tosafot already raises the question. We know of a we know of a fourth one. He says, how come here they don't mention? Alexander Mokdom, Alexander the Macedonian, Alexander the Great. So it says, Mishum Tuvim Says here we're only dealing with things that are mentioned in the Psukim. Alexander the Great, what's not mentioned in the Psukim, because he's post the canon, post the Tanakh. So therefore he's not mentioned here in the Gemara. The Gemara here is only discussing the kings that ruled over the entire world that we find in the Psukim. So here the Gemara gives, who are those three? Achav, or, if you want to keep them chronologically, it's Achav, Nebuchadnezzar, and Achashverosh. Achav, to the Khtiv, how do we know that Achav ruled over the entire world? Because it says, So this is Ovadya talking to Eliyahu when Eliyahu son appears to Ovadya. And Ovadya says, I, I take a shwa, if my Achav sent me throughout the entire world looking for you, and I couldn't find you. So, as Rashi points out, how could he take a shvua that he went everywhere in the world under the kingdom and he didn't find Eliyahu? So it must be that Ahab's machut extended over the whole world and that's why he could take such a shvua. If he didn't rule over all these areas, how could he possibly swear? Because it says that, Yemiyahu says, basically, any nation that does not submit to the rule of Melech Bavel will then be destroyed or conquered. Basically, Melech Bavel is going to rule over the entire world. Achashverosh, Hadamar. Achashverosh is what we said already above, which was Mihodu Viad Kush. That he ruled Mihodu Viad Kush, which was from one end of the world to the other end of the world. Gemara now questions, Betuleka. Are there no more that ruled over the entire world? Vayikashloma Melech. What about Shlomo Melech, who rules over? We just saw that by Tifsach and Azal. He has that same Derosho that we had by Hodu Akush for Achashverosh. It says, Lo Salik Malchutei. He did not complete his reign. He was deposed as the king based on the Gemara and Gitin that the shade took over and threw him out from being the king because of the problems that arose in his Machut that are mentioned in Tanakh. So says, That works well according to one who says that he was first a king and then he was deposed and became a layperson. That he was a king, deposed, became a layperson, then returned to be the king, 
Then he did finish out his kingdom. Shlomo has something else, meaning that he has something else unusual, which is He ruled over that which is above and below. Yes, he ruled over the entire world, but that would not be enough to describe Shlomo Melch. Shlomo Melch has much more than that, because he rules over the Elyonim, Shinemar. Shlomo sits on the throne of God. So Kisei Hashem makes it sound like he is as if he's acting in place of Hashem. So he's ruling over the Elyonim as well. Mar says, Vahava Sancherev. What about Sancherev who ruled over the whole world? Dichtiv. Mi bechol Elohei elo. Asher Who from all the gods of these lands has saved themselves from my hand? I mean, basically, I've kicked, I've kicked everyone out. I've ruled over everybody. I've won all the battles. There are no gods that have stopped me. Mar says, but there is one thing that he couldn't get to. Ahavo Yerushalayim delok vasha. There was Yerushalayim that he didn't conquer. Right, that's the famous story where he leads siege to Yerushalayim, and then Hashem overnight kills out the entire sieging nation in the time of Cheskiyahu Amalech. Vayika Daryovish. What about Daryovish? Darius, who rules over the entire world. Dichtiv. Daryovish Malko Ktav Lechol Amamaya Umaya Velishnaya writes to all the nations, peoples, and languages. Didarin Bechol Ara that live amongst the whole world. Shlamchonias is good. It's written with the sin in the Tanakh, but it is Shalmachon, your peace should be with you, or there should be abundant peace with you. So Gemara says, with regards to Daryovish, Hahavyo Sheva Dlomalachalayu. There are seven areas that he does not rule over, Dikhtiv. Because it says there in the same parak in Daniel, Shvar Kadam Daryovish, Ipso please Daryovish, Vehakim Al Malchuta. And therefore he places or establishes on his kingdom satraps of 120. So here the Gemara is contrasting that with the Chashverosh who had 127. Over here the Yobish only has 120 satraps or people that rule under him. And that's for 120 out of the 127. What about the fact that Cyrus ruled over the whole world? Because it says in the first parak of Ezra Ko Amar Koresh Melech Paras. This is what Koresh, the king of Persia, says. Ko Malachot Aretz Antanli Hashem. Hashem has granted me all the lands. Hatam Gemara says just Tabuchehu to Kamishtach Venafshe. You can't trust that because he's speaking about himself. It's one thing when the narrative of the Nach speaks about an individual and says he rules over the whole world or he rules over a large area. So that's one thing because that's an objective statement about the rulership of the individual. Over here, this is Koresh giving a speech about himself. So he aggrandizes his empire and says that I'm ruling over the whole world. But that is not necessarily true or objectively true. Right now, the Gemara continues and says, At that time when the king, where the question is here, is when he, either when he is seated or when he is now calm. And it says right afterwards, in the third year of his kingdom. Why does it take three years before Keshevet HaMelech? Why isn't it Keshevet HaMelech once he is appointed or anointed as the king? After he felt at peace or at ease. Why is that? So here comes the calculation of the 70 years of Galut Bavel. Amar, he says, Belshatzar Chishevet 
Belshatzar tried to calculate the 70 years of Galut Bavel and made a mistake. I'm going to do the calculation, not make the same mistake he did. Mahi, what is this calculation that they did that was problematic? When you have fulfilled the 70 years in Bavel, I will redeem you. Once there are 70 years that are completed from the destruction of Yerushalayim. So, Chashov, this is the calculation that Belshazzar did. So, just to have a little history here, Nebuchadnezzar is the first king of Bavel. He rises out of the destruction of Ashur. Bavel conquers Ashur, who is the superpower of the time, in Ninveh. And then he takes over, goes on to take over the entire world, as we saw before, Nebuchadnezzar rules over the entire world. So he's the first king of Bavel. The second king of Bavel is Evel Merodach. And the third one is his grandson, Belshazzar. So this is the calculation that Belshazzar did. Arba'im v'chamesh Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar rules for 45 years. V'esrim v'tlat de'evel merodach. And 23 years of el merodach. V'tartididi. And there are now two of mine. So you take the 45 of Nebuchadnezzar, add that to the 23 of evel merodach. That turns out to be 68. Two more from my reign, Belshazzar says. And now I have Hashivim. This is the 70 years that he spoke about, because it says in the Pasuk, with regards to the 70 years, that that is counted, Lemlot Bavel. When you fill out Bavel, making it sound from the ascension of Bavel as a superpower, at that point in time, you count 70 years, and that's when the Jews will be returned. And that's exactly what Belshazzar did. He calculated 70 years from the beginning of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. So Apik Mani Debe Migdasha says, that's it, the Jews aren't going to be redeemed anymore. So next year, meaning that in his third year of his reign, he takes out the Kalim of the Beit HaMikdash, and he uses them. Because now he felt that the Jews weren't going back, so now I can take all of those things that were taken to captivity, I can use them in my own palace, I'm not going to get punished, the Jews are done. Now, the Bukhanetz Malach, how do we know that Bukhanetz rules for 45 years? Damamar, because we have a memra. Galub Sheva, Galub Shmoneh. Galub Shmoneh they were put into Galut in the 7th year and the 8th year, in the 18th year and the 19th year. And what the Gemara explains here is those are synonymous. The 7th and 8th year are synonymous, and so are the 18th and 19th year. They're just counting from a different point in time. Galut b'sheva the kibush yoyakim. They are put into Galut after 7 years of the conquest of Yoyakim by Nebuchadnezzar. Galut Yoyachin, that is when the Galut of Yoyachin begins. Shishmona l'Nebuchadnezzar, which is the 8th year of Nebuchadnezzar. So, what basically happens is that Nebuchadnezzar conquers Ninveh. That's the beginning of the rule of Machut Bavel. A year later, he conquers Yoyakim in Yerushalayim. And now, Eretz Yisrael becomes a vassal state to Nebuchadnezzar. And he leaves Yoyakim there as a vassal king. And the way Rashi is explaining, this is based on Seder Olam Rabbah. For three years, Yoyakim remains as the vassal king. And then he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. And according to Seder Al-Mahabba, he rebels for three years. So there is six years before Yoyakim is sent into Galut. That's the way Rashi calculates it. Somewhat of a problem because there are actually seven years you have to come up with here. Rashi only describes in this six years and not the seventh year. So what you have to suggest over here is that Yoyakim's rule was actually a little longer. 
than the actual six years. It was six years plus. Or there are some who say that Nebuchadnezzar first takes Yoyakim to Bavel for a year and then brings him back and makes him into the vassal king in Yerushalayim. After Yoyakim is killed in the rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar appoints Yoyachin, his son, in his place. He goes back to Bavel and he gets some advice from his advisors who say, if the father rebelled against you, why would you put the son as the king? So he goes back and he takes Yoyachin into Galut and he removes him as the king after three months of rule. And then they appoint Sidkiyahu, his uncle, I mean Yoyachin's uncle, Yoyachim's brother, as the king. And Yoyachim remains the king until he finally rebels and he is the king when the Beit HaMikdash is destroyed 11 years later. So now, what the Gemara is saying here is, Galut b'sheva l'kibush Yoyachim. Galut Yoyachin. When Nebuchadnezzar comes back and puts Yoyachin into Galut, Remember that Mordechai in the Megillah is part of Galut Yechonia. That's part of the Galut of Yoyachin. Whether he was actually part of Galut Yoyachin or he is from amongst the descendants of those that were in Galut Yoyachin has to do with when you think the Megillah is set. Whether you think it's set within the 70 years of Galut Bavel, if you think it's set much later, then obviously it would be hard to argue that Mordechai was actually part of the Galut Yoyachin or Yechonia. But the Galut Yoyachin, where after the death of Yoyachin, Yoyachin rules for three months and then put into Galut, and part of Bnei Israel was sent into Galut at that point in time, that is seven years after Yoyachin was conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, eight years after Nebuchadnezzar rose to power. Because remember, Nebuchadnezzar becomes the king who rises to power over Bavel in the year prior to conquering of Yoyachin. So it's seven years from his conquest of Yoyachin, but it's eight years from the beginning of his rule. Meaning the destruction of the Meit HaMikdash, the Chorban Abayit, and the exile of the people in the time of Tzidkiyahu, which is 11 years later, that is in the 18th year of Kibush Yoyakim. That's in 18th year after Nebuchadnezzar conquers Yoyakim, which is the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. Damar, Mar, because here we have the statement, Shana Rishona Kibesh Ninveh. In the first year, Nebuchadnezzar conquers Ninveh, the capital of Ashur. And in the second year, he conquers Yoyakim over Yehuda. And then it says in the Pasuk, 37 years after the Galut of Yoyakim, Malach Yehuda Bishnemasar Chodesh Besrim, I'm sorry, Melech Yehuda Bishnemasar Chodesh Besrim Mechamishad Chodesh Nasa Evel Merodach Malach Bavel. He takes him out of the prison, meaning that Evo Merodach comes to become the ruler of Bevel, and as he rises to be the ruler of Bevel, he takes Yoyachin out of prison. So when does he take Yoyachin after prison? 38 years after he's been put in prison by Nebuchadnezzar. Well, that means that if Evo Merodach is already the king, 38 years after Yoyachin's put into prison, we know that Yoyachin is put into prison in the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar's rule. So that means for 37 years, Yoyachin sits in prison under Nebuchadnezzar, plus the eight years that he ruled before Yoyachin is put into prison. That's 45 years. And that gives you the reign of Nebuchadnezzar at 45 years. So that means in the 46th year, that's when Evo Merodach takes him out of the prison. So that's what the Gemara says here. If you take that, you say, Tamne v'tlatin v'sheva, 8 plus 37, hare 45. 
That's the 45 in Muchanetzah. How do we know Evo Merodach ruled for 23 years? That Gemara says Gemara. That we have a Masorah for. Meaning that we don't have any evidence in the Psukim. We just have a Masorah that he ruled for 23 years. Retarti Didei. And then two of Belshazzar Hashivin. That's how you get to the 70 years. Amar Hashtavadei Tu Lo Says now the Jews are definitely not going to be redeemed. Because 70 years passed and Hashem didn't keep his word. Apek Mani Debe Migdashah. He took out the Kelim of the Beit HaMikdash. Vishtamish and he utilized them. I know the Carmel Daniel. This is what Daniel says to him. Val Marei Shmaya. Marei in the Tanakh is spelled with an Aleph, but it means the same thing. Al Marei Shmaya. Over the master of the heavens. Hitromamto. You raised yourself above him. And the utensils of his house you brought before you. So there Belshazzar is using the utensils of the Mikdash, the utensils of Akkadj Baruch Tev. And it says later in that parak, a number of psukim later, it says, on that night, Belshazzar the king dies. And what happens next? It's the beginning of the next paragraph in Daniel. Darius the Median then reigns or rises to power when he's around 62 years old. So here you have Belshazzar making the calculation as to when the 70 years are up, because you see here that that's the end of the rule of Bavel. And all of a sudden, at that point, you have the beginning of the Yavish, or the Median Empire. So he says, Amar Ihu Achashver says, Ihu mitatoi, he made a mistake. I'm going to make the calculation, not make a mistake. Mikitiv the Machut Bavel doesn't say that you start counting the 70 years from the kingdom or the reign of Bavel, meaning from the beginning of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. It says, Libavel Ktiv. From the beginning of Galut Bavel. Well, when's the beginning of Galut Bavel? That's at the time of Yoyachin. So Kama Bitziran Tamne. That's eight years. I mean, eight years after the beginning of the rule of the Muchanetzar, Yoyachin is put into Galut. So now I have to come up with an additional eight years. So what is it? Chashiv Ayo Chilufayu. So now he puts in, he takes eight years out of the beginning, and now he's got to add them on to the end. Chada de Belshatzar. One year of Belshatzar. I mean, that Belshazzar rules for three years. He says after his second year, into his third year, he already calculated that that's the time that he could party. And he dies in that party. V'chamesh to Daryavish v'koresh. And then you have five years between Darius and Cyrus. And then v'tarte didek. And then two of his own, meaning two, into the machut ha-chashverosh. Ha-shivin, that's the 70 years. Came into chazi de malu shivin, v'lo yifruk, since he saw already that they had full 70 years and they were not redeemed. Amar hashtavade tulo mefarkeh. So it's not going to be redeemed anymore. Apik mane, the Beimikdashah, he took out the Kelim of the Beit HaMikdash, v'ishtamish b'hu, and he used them. So that's what he mean, v'ishtamish b'hu, that is what we say in the Megillah, v'kelim mikelim shonim. The Kelim mikelim shonim are from the Kelim of the Beit HaMikdash. So then, basatan v'riked b'nehem. So what happened, what was the punishment for that, that he was wrong? All of a sudden, the Sarkhanim came and danced amongst them, v'aragat vashti, and killed vashti, and that's why vashti gets killed in that party. So the Gemara says, Lashapir Choshid. He says, he made a good calculation. And Chashvir seems to have done a pretty good calculation. What's wrong with his calculation? Now just to note, we mentioned this in the Gemara Rosh Hashanah. These are long dapim. I don't want to spend too much time on this issue. But here, Chazal say with regards to Koresh and Daryovish, that they are only ruling for five years between the two of them. Which is a very short time and is very unlikely in terms of what we know historically about the Persian rule and the Persian monarchs, 
to have them rule only five years prior to Achashverosh doesn't seem to make too much sense, but that's what Chazal conclude based on Seder Maba from the Psukim in Ezra and trying to reconcile them that they put this together, that these are the years that add up to five years, which between Dayovish Amadi and Korish, that they have five years between them. So now the Gemara says, okay, so he made a mistake. So, He made a mistake because he began to count from Galut Bavel, but that's not the beginning of the 70 years. The beginning of the 70 years is actually from the destruction of Yerushalayim, means at the time of Tzidkiyahu HaMelech, which is actually 11 years later. So, 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 come and bitziran. How many you're missing now? You're missing Chadisar. You're missing Chadisar. You're missing 11 years. So, Iu Kama Malach. How long is Achashverosh the king? He's the king for 14 years. We know that because, first of all, the Megillah begins in the third year of his reign. So you start with that. Then in addition to that, we know that Bishnat Shtemesrei, he pila poor. In the 12th year of his reign, that's when Haman makes the poor. And the poor falls out in the following year. The following year is the 13th year of his reign. That's when Purim actually takes place. The Jews defend themselves. And then in the Megillah, Mordechai sends out letters to be Mekayim Purim the year afterwards. So that brings you into the 14th year of Achashverosh's reign. So Gemara says, if you're up to the third year of his reign, you had already reached the point where it was 70 years from Galut Bavel, then if you add on 11 years, that means in the 14th year of Melech Hashverosh, that should have been in the time when the redemption takes place. So Gemara says, Ba'abasar Didei, in the 14th year of Achashverosh's rule, that's when the Beit HaMikdash should be rebuilt. How come it's written there, that the workage on the Mikdash in Yerushalayim was stopped, was not in force. So it only begins in the time of Doyovish, who Chazal indicated is Doyovish Hasheni, Darius II, According to Chazal, is actually the child of Achashverosh and Esther. And he's the one who allows them to begin building. And he actually only allows them to begin building in the second year of his reign. So we're actually missing two years here. So how do we figure out where are those two years that are missing? Because the calculation of the 70 years should have fallen out in the 14th year of Achashverosh's reign. Instead, it falls out in the second year of Daryavish, who comes after Achashverosh. So Amarova, Shanim Mikutaotavu. There is some double counting in here. Remember, the way that we work with the rules of kings is that if a king rules in a year, even a portion of the year, that year counts towards his reign. So if the passing king rules in halfway into the year or any amount of time into the year, that counts as a year towards his reign. And the ascendant king, the king who now takes over at that point, that also counts as the first year of his reign. So there's actually some double counting of the reigns. And that's what it says, Shani Mikudot Havu and Tanya Namiochi. Now we have another brighter that supports that, which is, There was another year under the rule of Bavel that was overlapping that caused this. So you actually have two times that there's overlapping. One of them is between Koresh and Daryavish. As Rashi says, there are only four years between them, not really five years. The five years really comes from double counting. Both of them have an additional year that's counted there, because, but it's an overlapping year between their reign. And the same thing is true by Nebuchadnezzar and Evel Merodach, that there's an overlapping year at that point in time. And that leaves you with two overlapping years there. And you have to make up for those two years. Those two years are made up by the fact that only in the second year of Daryovish do they begin building the Beit HaMikdash.
Agmar says here, Amarova ap Daniel ta'abahaychushbana. Even Daniel made a mistake in this counting in the seventy years. How do we know that? It says b'shana achat b'malko in the first year of his reign. Ani Daniel binoti basfarim. I was meditating over the books. So here the Gemara says not basfarim, but from the word safar to count on the count. And the Gemara binoti. He says that I meditated over it. Mechal deta. He didn't get it right. He only meditated over, it, but he didn't get it right. Gemara says mikom makom kashu kriyadoti. What are you doing with the pasuk between Yirmiyahu and Daniel? Because in Yirmiyahu it says melot the bavel, the time that you finish with bavel, uchtiv, and with the Daniel it says lechorvot Yerushalayim to the destruction of Yerushalayim. So when is the count of the seventy years? So Amar Rava, Rava says lipkida be'alma. There's a difference. There are actually two redemptions to bnei Yisrael. There's a pekida be'alma. Pekida be'alma means they get a slight redemption that Hashem then takes them out. And then the full building of the Beit HaMikdash and the full return of the people only takes place later. And that is the Malot of Babel. That is in the 70 years. So the 70 years actually turn out to be in the time of Koresh. Remember that Belshazzar calculated the 70 years. And his 70 years were actually Malot of Babel. Were actually correct. He got the calculation correct. Except that there was an overlapping year that he forgot about. That overlapping year between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar and, and Evil Merodach. And therefore, one year later, after his rule, after he dies, when Korish takes over, Korish gives permission for the people to return to Eretz Yisrael and to begin the construction of the Beit Mikdash. That's Rubavel going back to Eretz Yisrael. So that's Bikidah. That actually happens at the time of Lot Bavel. Then the Chorvot Yushalayim is only 11 years later, at the time of Doyovish Hashani. At that point in time, are they granted the right to go back and rebuild fully the Beit Mikdash? It's actually, I'm sorry, it's more than 11 years here. It's 18 years later that they are granted that right. And that you have the four years of Koresh and Daryavish, you have the 14 years of Achashverosh, which is the 18 years, and then the two went to Daryavish, and then again we have the overlapping years, so it cuts it down. So those are the 18 years or 19 year difference that takes place, and that's in the time of Daryavish Hashini when they finally complete or actually begin the construction of the Mikdash to complete it. So that's what it means, that there actually will be two redemptions. There'll be an earlier redemption, which is the beginning of the process of the redemption, and then there'll be completion in the time of the Yovish Hashini. And that is what meant by the Pasuk, by Koresh. It says, Ko Amar Koresh, Melech Paras. This is what Koresh, the king of Persia, says, All the land, all the lands, Hashem and the kingdoms, Hashem has granted me amongst the earth. Remember, we saw this before, that he was boasting about his rulership. the God of heavens. And he has charged me with the building of his house in Yerushalayim, Asher Yehuda. That's in Yehuda. So first of all, he wears the word pakad. So that's what it means, pakid That in Malot Mavel, there will be a pakid and that's in the first year of Koresh. So then, based on that, Dorosh of Nachman Bar Yechis, the Maidechti was meant in the Pasuk in Yeshayahu, Ko Amar Hashem Lemishicho the Koresh, Asher Zakti Bimino. This is what Hashem says to, the way that the Pashtuta Pasuk reads is that, Lemishicho the Koresh, to the anointed one Koresh, Asher Zakti Bimino, that I get empowered in his right hand, meaning that I give him the power to do what he needs to do. So there it's calling Koresh the Mashiach. And when it says, Koresh Mashiach, since when is Koresh the Redeemer. When is, since when is he the Mashiach? 
Alama Kajboachu le Mishiach. The Gemara reparses the Pasuk to read like this. Ko Amar Hashem le Mishicho, comma. The Koresh Asherach Zakti Bimino. The Koresh who I strengthen in his right hand. So Amar Kajboachu le Mishiach, Kovel Ani le Chal Koresh. I'm complaining to you about Koresh. Ani Amarti Yuvne Beiti. I told him he should build my house, Vikabetz Galyutai. And he'll bring together my, or in gather the exiles. Vuamar, it's a continuation of the puzzle in Ezra that we just read. Mi bachem mi kolamo, hi elukavimo. That, who is here amongst you from his people of God? He elukavimo, God should be with him. Vayaldi Yerushalayim, asher biyudah. Let them go up to Yerushalayim and Yudah. Viven beta Hashem elukai Yisrael. They will build the house of Hashem elukai Yisrael. Hu elukim asher biyushalayim. He is the king or the god over Yerushalayim. So what does Koresh do instead? He makes Bnei Sola's proxies to go build the Beit HaMikdash. So that's what it says, Mi bachem vayal, that he complains. Hashem said that I made him, the person to go build, Hashem Pakat, I commanded him to build the Mikdash. He should have been more involved. Either that means that he should be more involved from the standpoint that he should have made sure the people leave and forced them, pushed them to leave. Not just say whoever volunteers to go should go. Or from the possibility that he himself should have gone up there and built it, or had to make sure that it was built, rather than sending people to be his proxies to build it. So that's Hashem's complaint about it. Rashi actually notes that the trup on the psukim in Ishayahu support the understanding of Chazal here. It says, Ko Hashem the Mishicho the Koresh. On top of Mishicho is a Zarka, and on top of the Koresh is also a Zarka. He says, if it was supposed to be that it was Ko Hashem the Mishicho the Koresh, that's the way to read the Pasuk, it should have been a Zarka on Mishicho, and a segol on Koresh. The fact that it makes it a zarkan Meshichon and a zarkan Koresh tells you that there's a pause in between and that they're separate. So it's Koma Hashem the Meshichon and then the Koresh is exactly B'yemino which means that Hashem is speaking to the Mashiach about Koresh, not that Koresh himself is the Mashiach. From here we see that we have the 70 years, two sets of 70 years, one set of 70 years which is in the time of Koresh when they begin the process of the redemption, meaning the Jubavel goes up and they have the Aliyah Rishonah, Eretz Yisrael, to begin the construction of Mikdash, which is later stopped. And then the people who are left in Eretz Yisrael at that time turn out to have a very difficult time, both from a physical existence, from a economic existence, as well as a religious existence. Because we know by the time that Ezra and Nechem, you get there at later times, these people are mostly intermarried. They're not keeping Shabbos. They're very difficult times for the Jews there. But they come up in the second end of the 70 years, in the 70 years that falls in the time of Doyovish Hashani, when then finally the Beit HaMikdash, or the completion of the Beit HaMikdash starts, and that's when the final point, or the threshold of redemption begins, when the Mikdash is going to be built and finished off. So that that third set of 70 years, we had here three sets of 70 years. 70 years calculated by Veshotzar, by Yechash Rosh, and then the proper count of the 70 years. The Gemara Nisan end says there are two sets of 70 years, the one that Veshotzar calculated, and the one that we say in the end is the proper one, and each of those result in a certain amount of redemption that transpires. Again, I'll just reiterate that this is all according to Seder Olam who believes that the Persian rule was condensed based on the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah that we saw, and this is where we discussed it, that three of those kings are considered to be one. Hu Koresh, Hu Daryovish, Hu Atachshasto. That Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes are all considered to be one king. Now, Chazal are right in the fact that these are not private names. These are names like Parol, that are granted to the kings, but they make them all into one big king. And it's true also that in the Persian Empire, there were some, what we call it, co-rulers, joint rulers, and they do have this idea of joint rulers. But nevertheless, it's very difficult because we have pretty well-documented 
secular history that indicates that the extent of the Persian rule is much more or much longer than Chazal state over here. According to Chazal's calculation, the story of Purim takes place about 34 years before the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash. On the other hand, if you follow the account of the secular historians, depending who you think is a Hashverosh, meaning that they've been associated with different of the Persian kings, you know, there are three different options as to which of the Persian kings people think is a Hashverosh, then it would be anywhere from 50 to 130 years after the Binyanabait, after the Mikdash is already rebuilt, that's when the story of Purim takes place. And again, there's been a lot written about this, why that is the case. Rav Schwab, who writes about it and says Chazal intentionally did it in order to be Hussein the Kates, in order to make it, it wouldn't be clear that the Kates is coming. There are others who suggest that it was a quote-unquote cover-up of the fact that it's an embarrassment for Kalal Yisrael that the Big Dash is standing in Yerushalayim, and they're in Shushana Bira, pretending that that's the capital, and that the king of Hashverosh is the king, and that the Beit HaMikdash is his palace, and so on and so forth, which is, it's a tremendous criticism, or Musar, to those people who didn't come on Aliyah, didn't come to Eretz Yisrael, when the Beit HaMikdash is standing, and Eretz Yisrael is rebuilt. And so again, that would be a, it's a difficult statement about the nature of when Purim takes place and the meaning of Megillat Esther versus the story that's written about Jews in Galut Bavel and Hashem has saved them even when they're in Galut Bavel. has a very, very different flavor or taste to it. Again, in terms of reconciliation between the enumeration of Chazal and the enumeration of the historians, there are generally three approaches to that. One is to say that the historians are right, Chazal were wrong. The other way is to say Chazal are right, the historians are wrong. And there are others who try to reconcile between them or figure out that Chazal knew, but they intentionally didn't do it, or Chazal knew, but they had other reasons to override that because they wanted certain things to work out or certain things to be at certain times based on their calculations. So anyway, there's been much written about it. I just want to make sure that we at least mention it here because it's definitely important to the story here and the calculations of the 70 years. Okay, we're going to stop over here.